Today's reading comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 32 to 40. It's on page, page 1045 of the Bibles. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their masters to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the word of the Lord. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Will and Lisa's treasure is in Oliver and her. Their heart is with their baby, their miracle baby. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Um, let me just remind you what the topic and context of some of the sermons that I'm going to be giving or talks I'm going to be giving or sharing with you this summer is about. It's, it's about money and it's about um, our wealth, it's about our attitude towards our money and it's about our giving, our giving to God's work, particularly uh, in and through St. Giles here. Um, there are some people who are under the assumption that uh, the church is paid for by the government, and it's not, or the local authority, and it's not, or even the wider church, and it's not. No, the responsibility is ours. It's our responsibility. And if you were here at the AGM, or indeed you picked up and read the minutes of the PCCs, you will have noticed that there has been a growing concern about the finances of this church. Um, uh, our treasurer um, uh, has pointed out that at the moment um, income has been going down and expenditures have been going up. And the PCC thought originally that probably what the best thing to do would be to be leave it to the new incumbent so that she or he could have the joy of talking about money as soon as they came through the door. But then on reflection, they decided it'd be better to find someone else to do that, and that's me. And as I did say to you last time, I have nothing to lose, so I can have lots of fun talking about your giving, our giving, my giving. Um, Chris, who's our treasurer, who read the first reading, um, wrote to me some time ago and said he was concerned about the direction of travel regarding the income and the expenditure here at St. Giles. 
uh, three years or so ago, our, um, our giving, annual giving, amounted to about 180,000. It's sort of gone down since then. It's ranging about 140,000 now. Whereas two or three years ago, our sort of average expenditure takeout particular um, uh, items was going from about 220 and it's going up in that direction and those of you who are mathematical geniuses have worked out that there's a there's a gap between the two and a gap is getting bigger and bigger um, and the question is you know how on earth has St Giles survived and I guess the answer is we'll to a certain extent, there's a little bit of money that comes from rental, from some cottages and from the church hall. There's money that we've taken out of um, our assets, which are depleting. Um, we've cut down on staff. We don't have a youth worker. Giving away to charities, it's not 10% of our giving, which is what we would like it to be. Um, and, of course, at the end of the day, we just say, well, we can pay less to the diocese in terms of our contribution towards funding a, a clergy person here and indeed in other places. The other way that it's been made up has been, as I think I said to you a few weeks ago, has been through legacies. Wonderful people that you are. When you die, you leave money to St. Giles. And we really want to thank you. Chris particularly wants to thank you for, for the way that you leave your money St. Giles. It's really great because it means that we don't have to give any money ourselves. It's just wonderful. Um, uh, my children, um, when I say to them, can you really afford to take on this debt or this loan? They say to me, um, Dad, you honestly you don't need to worry because you're going to die soon and so is Mum. And when you die, we'll sell the house, divvy up the money and we, well, we will, you will have nothing to worry about. So nothing to worry about. And Chris does not want to come up here and say, look, folks, Hurry up and die and leave us your money so that the rest of us who are left here don't need to worry about it. No, the responsibility is ours. And, um, yeah, you, you know, this year uh, we decided we'll have this sort of giving campaign. And uh, at come harvest time, we'll encourage you all because there will be a little appeal. Sometimes I'll do in September. And you'll be encouraged when you bring your baked beans and things like that come up and there'll be a basket here and you put in your responses and uh, during the week Chris will add them all up and then the following week he will stand up here and he'll say hallelujah all is sorted out but we don't know we'll we'll see how that goes and, and can I just say just in case you think that you know um, this is just all off the top of my head what well, it is actually in some ways but it is actually going from scripture uh, the, the lectionary readings on the whole during this summer, wonderfully, the gospel readings are about money, about giving, about our attitude towards giving. And um, I, you know, I'm not just preaching at you, I'm preaching at myself. I'm a very, very worldly person. I know that. And, you know, we have just picked up a bright, shiny new car. It's wonderful. Except it it terrifies the life out of me. There's no handbrake on this car. I still haven't worked out how to do it. And I'm in fear that we're going to roll backwards into something. Um, and the other thing is that I don't know what it is, but 
when I sort of cross lanes or veer off and something, it's like some hand, it's not the Holy Spirit, it all comes down, just moves, them, moves over, and, uh, and I'm desperately trying to find out how to turn off the safety features. <laughs> Sheila just says, darling, why don't you just indicate, and then that will be okay. Uh, although she doesn't say it as sweetly as that. Um, uh, later on, I'd like to share some personal experiences from one of our last parishes. But um, first of all, let's come back to this lovely passage, the, our gospel passage, which was read to us by Chris Treasure. Um, because the desire to acquire is so ingrained in us, Jesus speaks about this. There's a lovely story uh, about a, a minister who was laying in his bed at night all alone and he sounded, hear a sound, someone else was in the room with him. And he was really very, very worried. And he said after a while, he said, is there anybody there? And a noise came back, a loud voice said, be very still and don't move or I'll kill you. And he lay there shaking in his bed. And here this man still shuffling around and he said, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for your money. Right, he said, turn the light on, I'll look with you. <laughs> yeah. um, that desire to acquire, whether we're burglars or bishops, it is there. So Jesus, Jesus addresses it. Um, and because our attitudes towards our money so reveal our character and our Christian discipleship, Jesus says more about money than he does about any other subject. Um, if you were lucky enough to have one of those New Testaments that's called a, new, a red letter New Testament, any old people remember that? A red letter New Testament. All the words of Jesus are in red. And if you go through, you'll find he speaks more about money and attitudes towards money and giving than he does about anything else. Um, now, there's some positive and some negative things to be said, some negative things. Um, uh, you know, there are two wrong attitudes that we Christians should have towards money. I mean, one is anxiety, you know, the fear we won't have enough. And that's wrong because we should put our trust in God. You know, look, says Jesus, look at the birds of the air. You know, God looks after them. If he looks after them, he'll look after you. And the other extreme is avarice, when there's not too little money, but there's too much money. Um, covetousness. You know, I have been a priest for over 40 years, and I have heard, like I say, more confessions than you've ever had hot dinners. Probably not true. But I've certainly heard formal and informal confessions. And I have to say, that in all those 40 years, I don't think I've heard a single confession about covetousness about one's own things. I've certainly heard confessions of covetousness about another man's wife or another husband's woman or whatever it is, um, or another man's car, another woman's car, or their money, or things like that. Um, but I've never heard anyone confess to the sin of covetousness, just wanting more and more and more. Somehow... We have this idea that that's okay, but it's not. Um, and so he speaks about it, and Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth which will rot 
um, be stolen, um, be affected by uh, all manner of nasty things like that. Um, our great grannies used to put their money away, their threepenny bits and their sixpenny pieces, and sometimes even their ten bob notes into jars. And Sally Poon has just thought to herself, actually, it wasn't my granny, it was me. <laughs> and uh, they put their money in little secret places for those days when times are, are tough. These days, what we do with our money? Well, they go into shares, they go into bank accounts. Um, Sheila and I, at the moment, are saving up for new hip and knee replacements. And uh, don't laugh, one day you'll be doing the same. Uh, and, uh, you know, we put our money into premium bonds. And uh, uh, it's very pathetic, this. Our children think it is pathetic. We sit up early in the morning on the beginning of the month and we sit there with our app, our premium bond app, and, and two minutes past 12, we press the button to see if we've won 25 pounds or not. And I'm very jealous of Sheila because she's won more 25 pounds than me. Uh, so we're all affected. We, uh, we all save money, we're all affected. Money is very important to us. Um, in Jesus' day, People would put their money into grain, they put their money into coins, metal. But all these things, as we know, are vulnerable. Um, and Jesus is really saying that, you know, if you're putting all your future and your hope and that into worldly possessions, you have a desolate future. Two men were on a bus discussing the death of, or discussing a friend of theirs who had died a few months earlier. And... One of them turned to the other and said, how much did he leave? To which the other one said, everything. We leave nothing behind. Some of you know I worked in a hospice before I got ordained. And uh, my, one of my responsibilities was to wash bodies, prepare them, wrap them in a shroud. And I learned the truth that there are no pockets in a shroud. We take nothing with us. Ash Wednesday here, we have... Uh, we have a service of ashing. Uh, ashes are put on people's forehead. And we said, remember that you are dust, and to dust ye shall return. So it's silly to hoard up and just gather for ourselves all the time. It's not right. It's silly. More than that, it's sinful. Why is it sinful? Um, well, I heard this once described as the Ebenezer Scrooge complex. Those of you who read English literature will know what I'm talking about. Um, it has a detrimental effect on our heart, our mind, our will. If we just spend our time gathering for ourselves, it's just not good for ourselves. It's not good for our, not good for our heart. You know, if in our heart and our interest is, you know, it's just on money, focusing on money, that's not good for us. Wasn't it lovely last week to hear Elizabeth talking about Harfusi and how they had given, she and David had given up a year to go to a place, to give themselves their talents, their gifts, to setting up that school and doing what they did at that school. And how important it is for us not to be gathering for ourselves, but to be giving out. So while we're going to be hearing from Johanna about you know, aspects of mission of this church, one of the things that people you know, are begging for, apparently, is opportunities 
to be more outward looking and outward going as a church and how important that is for us. It's healthy for us to. And if we put our money into things that are of the kingdom of God, you know, we have an interest, uh, you know, a, a, a real interest and it's good. It's good for us. It's good for our minds as well. You know, if we have a, a mind, Jesus said the, um, the eye is the lamp of the body and if with our eyes we're just looking out for what we can draw into ourselves, then there's darkness within. Whereas if we're looking for opportunities to give out, the body is full of light, the mind is full of light. And then there's the will. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. One of them is going to win out. Who's going to win out? He says so many things, and I'll be picking up on some of the other things that Jesus says about money uh, later on. Um, no, uh, we should use our money for God's purposes, not just our own. Uh, John Wesley, that great Methodist preacher, uh, in his lifetime, apparently got through something like £60,000 as he went round and you know, worked for the kingdom of God. And um, at that time, towards the end of his life, uh, the inland revenue was formed, his majesty's inspectors of taxes, and they... Uh, they sent everybody forms to do with their wealth. And Wesley had one of these, and he filled it out. And he returned it to the revenue, saying very simply, I have seven silver teaspoons, four of which are in Bristol, and the other three are in London. And they realized he had got a lot of money going through the system, so they sent inspectors. And the inspectors found out that he had sent in a correct form. All his money and being given to the kingdom of God. You know, where are our treasures? Where are our treasures? Uh, the terrible Decian persecution, a bit of history here for the historian among you. Um, uh, it was a time when Christians were persecuted for their faith. Some of them were killed. They lost their jobs, their families. And one day some soldiers went into a church because it was thought that the church had lots of treasure and money and demanded to see so they could take the treasures of the church. And the, the deacons of the church took these soldiers to the back of the church and they threw open the doors and there were the children and the widows being fed. And they said, these are our treasures. Where are your treasures? Uh, so let's say something about the last church we were in. Uh, it's not a church that we actually wanted to go to. Um, Times were different. Um, in those days, if you were under orders, you went where you were sent. So we were told we were going there. We didn't want to go there because we used to go past it. We had four little children. And every time we used to go past the church, it was a hideous-looking church. And it always had a thermometer outside. They were trying to raise money. And uh, I'd say to Sheila, don't you thank God we don't have to worship in a church like that. And that's the church that the bishop decided he wanted to send us to. And um, inside was even worse than outside. It was crumbling completely, no loos, no kitchen. Um, and uh, the, all, the, all the ceiling was crumbling down. I looked up, it's lovely turquoise ceiling. I said, well, you've, you've got stars painted on the ceiling. It said, no, that's just where it's crumbling. Um, and all the walls were crumbling, everything about it. Was falling to pieces. It looked like the back end of a jumble sale, if any of you remember jumble sales. It was a total mess. 
And that's where we went. And for a year, I said nothing. And then after a year, I shared with them the vision that I had. And I said, what I'd like to do, and what I believe we should do, and believe in the vision that I have, is that we gut the church completely. We create a brand new entrance with a kitchen and loos and a bookshop and area for the children to sit around the font and um, lots of storage and panoramic windows looking out onto the church so that children and families can watch but not necessarily be heard by the rest of the congregation. Um, and that inside the church, new amplification, new lighting. The lighting was 150 watt light bulbs on long, long strings. And the, the old children used to stand on chairs and bang them and they would fly around all over the place. Um, and uh, uh, and they said, but have you any idea how much this cost? I said, yes, I'd spoken to um, a quality surveyor and an architect were talking about £100,000. The income and expenditure was about £30,000 a year for the church. And they didn't actually all fall off their chairs at the PCC, but inwardly they did. And they just said, well, really? And I said, yes, uh, how are we going to do that? I said, we'll do it over three days. We'll have a day of prayer and fasting when we have the church open and we allow people to come in and pray. We'll have a day of fellowship, harvest supper, and then we'll have a day of giving. And people can come and bring their promises to the front and uh, during the service, treasurer will count them all up and will announce how much has been given. Well, we sent out a little letter to all the people who lived in the area telling them what we were going to do and... Uh, and gave people an opportunity to respond, and they responded. We got lots and lots and lots of people, and they gave in all about a thousand pounds, which was wonderful. And then, on the day of fellowship, uh, we had the harvest supper. And the next day, people came. They brought their offerings forward, and at the end of the service, the treasurer came out, walked up to the pulpit, and said that the combined giving, together with tax back, came to. £40,000, and there was a gasp. People couldn't believe they had been so generous. It was right across the board. It wasn't just one or two people. And then on our day of prayer and fasting, a lady called Doris Nichols, God bless her, Doris Nichols went to heaven. She didn't like the former vicar, but she really liked me. And she, and she changed her will. And she changed her will, and she left half of her house to the vicar and the wardens. Shame. Uh, and uh, those of you who are genius mathematicians will have added up 70,000 and 40,000 and 1,000 came to 111,000 pounds. I just remember what was said by Elizabeth. She said, William Temple said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, they don't. Tell you more about how that panned out next time. But how are you investing your wealth? You know, where is your treasure? Where is my treasure? Um, you know, do we really want all our money um, in places where scammers will get to it? Um, where inflation will reduce it by 10% a year? Or are we prepared to invest our income, our talents, our gifts in the kingdom of God? It's a question for all of us. 
And bad luck, I'm going to be preaching about this for the next two months. <laughs> Thank you for listening so attentively. I really do appreciate it. Um, David is now going to lead us in some worship, which is by way of response to God. And the most important thing is that each of us here, not what I'm saying, but what Scripture is saying, the Word of God is saying, and what the Holy Spirit of God says to us. Thanks, David.